1: And
2: welcome to episode 83 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors. PC Law
1: from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Get your free
2: 30-day trial at PCLaw.com radio. And Clio, online practice management for attorneys at GoClio.com. In our last podcast, we talked
1: about some recent discussions about whether lawyers should have an ethical duty to learn technology. In this episode, we turn to what might be the hottest topic in legal technology today. And it's also the topic of Tom's new book. And we're also going to try out a new and perhaps unexpected approach to our second segment. Tom, what's on our agenda of this episode?
2: Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're talking about apps and specifically iPad apps. In our second segment, we're introducing a new feature, which we are tentatively calling the rant. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But let's get started with our first segment, and that's apps. I'm increasingly amazed at the popularity of the iPad. Uh, You know, CLE providers are clamoring. I get calls all the time clamoring to do sessions on the iPad, and I think it's hard to find any lawyer conference these days, no matter what the topic of the lawyer conference, without at least one session on how lawyers can use an iPad. You know, I have made the joke uh, with, with with our ABA folks that you can make any CLE session wildly successful just by putting the word iPad in the title. Even trust accounting in the iPad, I think, has the potential to draw a big crowd, no matter how dry the topic might be otherwise. Dennis, do you have any thoughts or ideas why uh, there's been such a surge in interest in the iPad and apps lately? Well, Tom, uh, two reasons. One, of course, is obviously you're
1: two books on on the iPad yes, thank which has you. driven a lot of, of lawyer interest. But I, I think the other thing is that um, if if you look at the rate of adoption of the iPad, it is it is really phenomenal. And so I just think you see so much going on out there. So I, I think that lawyers are participating in in the whole iPad phenomenon and and also think that, you know, frankly the the legal pads days might finally be coming to an end. And it's just an attractive form factor for lawyers. And there's some great apps that are really useful to lawyers. And Um, you know, evangelists who've really had good experiences. And, and I think, Tom, one of the things you've, you've mentioned is that there is a really strong interest by litigators, especially in the tablets, just a great form factor that, that makes sense for lawyers. I think all of those things have, have come together. Um, great price point and, and all of that. And it's, it's almost like a perfect storm, but it's, it's really amazing how many lawyers you see these days with iPads.
2: And, you know, I think that it has the other thing that 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 is responsible, I think, for the popularity is the fact that the iPad is just so simple to use. I have, have in my presentations, I've shown slides of, of three year olds using the iPad and of 90 year olds using the iPad. I, I have a, a mother who is very technophobic and uh, have not been able to get her to use email or any type of technology. And and have been known to to make her cry if I try to get her to use technology before. But uh, I had an older iPad and I wanted to to not get rid of it, so I asked her if she wanted it, and she is now a regular user of the iPad. She is uh, using it for important things like playing Angry Birds and uh, and a couple of other games on there. But uh, but she, it's actually something that she can turn on and use and, and 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 understand without a lot of knowledge without a big ramp up in, in in learning about the technology and I think that's one reason why it's attractive to lawyers uh, you know at ABA Tech show this year I would say that the vast majority of people uh, there did didn't bring their laptops but brought iPads instead they're mobile they're light they're easier to carry and they're very easy to use I I have found many many more people giving seminars on using the iPad and I think that's because there is a low learning curve, uh, with starting to use it. I, I think that, that the only thing that is kind of overwhelming with the iPad are the apps themselves. And the fact that there are so many apps, uh, uh, on an iPad, it's, it's hard to, uh, I, I guess, know what, uh, what's, what's worth buying on the, on the iPad for the iPad and, and what's worth, you need to take a pass on. Dennis, what, uh. What are your standards when you think about buying apps on the uh, iPad?
1: Well, I, I think you you hit on a key point, Tom, and and that's really the number of apps and how you evaluate them. And, and and I think your your new book is really you know fantastic in in that area because it's iPad apps in in one one hour for lawyers, and you've really gone through and kind of sorted through you know the thousands of apps that, that are out there to kind of hone in on what's good for lawyers and, and i think that the real key to understanding the ipad and having it work for you is to understand it as a platform and so it's a place that you can put these apps that allow you to do to do some 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 really great things um so i don't know tom i i suspect your book is has done well at this point how's it going
2: well, you know, the reason why I wanted to write this book is is because of the sheer number of apps. When I when I originally wrote the book, I said that uh, that there were over eighty thousand apps available for the iPad that were designed specifically for the iPad. And then, just I don't know, two or three weeks after the final version went to the printer, uh, Apple came out when they debuted the new iPad and said there were over two hundred thousand apps. Uh, so, it makes me look like a liar in the book, but but. But what I wanted to do was sort of curate the apps that are out there and and provide a listing of here are the important ones. Here are the here are the apps that lawyers should pay attention to in a bunch of different categories: productivity, uh, lit- certainly litigation or legal related apps, uh, travel apps, uh, meetings, uh, note taking, documents, uh, utilities. How to do certain things on the iPad. Uh, I, I tried to think of what are the things that lawyers would want to do most on the iPad uh, as part of their job, and then and then include some entertaining. And, and fun apps as well, and then list the best of the best. Here are the current best apps in all of these categories. And um, I hear it's doing well. Uh, I've, uh, I've I've heard I've heard that sales are are fairly good, but uh, I, I think that what if, if sales are good, it's because lawyers are looking for. Uh, a way to cut through all that chaff. And uh, because if you go and do a search for an app, I've done searches for apps where I've, I've had to surf through five or six or even a th- 600 or even a thousand apps. And that's just, that's no fun. That's not worth it. And I think having resources and this book is one, there are some others on the internet that I know we're going to talk about a little bit later to, uh, to be able to find out those types of apps, uh, are, uh, I think they're very valuable because they, they save time. We're all busy lawyers, and, uh, and, and I think that having resources like this can help cut through uh, and, and, and let people do what they really want to do um, with the iPad. Dennis, what's, what's your approach to, to getting apps? When you are looking at the apps that you want to put on your iPad, uh, how, how do you approach that? well you know I you know I always
1: look to see what is it that I really want to accomplish and then I'm a consumer reports kind of guy so I look for reviews and I've also found some really great things and I'm also my orientation is free apps are great because I want to try them um, figure out what makes sense for me and and then I might move to a paid to paid app if I really like something but there's some great free stuff and then I also cheat a little bit with this uh, it's both an app and um, a, a blog I think it is of apps gone free which I think you really have to know if you're an iPad user or an iPhone user because it it's a number of developers will put their for pay apps sort of on sale for free for a day or two or, or, you know, sometimes a week in the iTunes store. And Apps Gone Free lets you know which of those apps do that. And and so that's a great source because uh, uh, they curate a bit. So I think you have to have at least 3.5 stars rating to make their list. And then you can get them for free and it's – they seems like they stay free forever cuz you get all the updates. So I tend to be more of a free approach. I know time we sort of joke around that that um, I'm always asking you whether I should spend money on on one of one the outline programs uh but yeah I tend to be tend to be more free but I I know that you your book um really does a nice job of of sort of saying when does it make sense to to move from the free to the paid.
2: Well and and you know when when we had the David Sparks on this program like Couple of months ago, or maybe it's been a year by now that, that he's been on the program. Um, I think he made the same general comments, which is that he prefers uh, to buy apps rather than go for free apps, and, and I and I tend to agree with his judgment, which is that in general, the apps that you pay for will have uh, a slightly higher. Quality to them. They will have more features. There will be more care taken with them. The free apps, uh, in addition to being things that can 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 be kind of fairly sloppy apps, also tend to be apps that come just riddled with advertising, and that's the price you pay. If you want free, a lot of times you'll be uh, you'll you'll have to to suffer advertising. And there are, granted, there are many many free apps that I think are worthwhile. Those free apps, I think, tend to be those that come as companion pieces to uh, to other things that you might be paying for in the real world. Uh, USA Today is a free app, uh, which is nice. You can get all that news for free. Um, But uh, and and maybe that's not the best example because you don't actually even have to have a USA Today subscription to use it. But uh, but there are many apps. My my Tripit app um, is made more valuable because I have a a premium membership to the TripIt site. Uh, I'm able to access uh, a number of apps like HBO Go. I can watch HBO shows for free on my iPad because I also subscribe to HBO through uh, my satellite TV plan. And um, and so there are definitely some free apps that I think are worthwhile and useful, but I tend to, to look, even if it's a, a 299 dollars or a $4.99 app, I don't really have qualms about paying money for apps and and I guess my my bottom line is when you've got a uh, when you've got an app that's only299 compared to what it used to be like buying software it's easy to, to to do some testing you know if there are four or five or six different note-taking apps and you really want to get a feel for which is the right note-taking app you can you can make an investment there of less than fifty dollars of, of maybe less than30 dollar. And come away with a great note-taking app for what I would think is a very small investment. So my approach is to to, to ten, tend to go to with apps that that you do have to pay for because I think that they are are better uh, better constructed. But at the same time, there there are a number of apps, and I know you were talking, Dennis, about an outlining app. Uh, there are a number of apps that are much more expensive than the typical iPad app. I think that the the standard sort of high point is nine ninety nine, but there are many. Others like like TrialPad, like uh, Omni Outliner, or, or uh, uh, that that will uh, that will wind up being more than nine ninety nine. So uh, I, I think with those you need to be careful. You might want to test them. Unfortunately, Apple doesn't have the same thing as 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 the Android store where you can actually try out apps for free. But uh, but I, I tend to think that that taking the risk on a two ninety nine or three ninety four ninety nine app is is worth the cost to to get the the full feel of that particular app. Yeah, and then
1: you know, I mean most lawyers can afford that. I sort of my approach is driven a lot because I'm kind of an amateur and a, a a dabbler at this and I'm not not really using the iPad in connection with my work. And I think if if you're especially a solo, then I think you you know and you're using the iPad as David Spark said that you want to have really great apps and I think you would then err on the on the you know I I don't think you I would experiment with as much free I would go for the best of the best and and I think that's uh leads me to your back to your book Tom I, I your part of your approach was to say let me help lawyers by in a way picking the best of the best from 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 what you saw and I think that that's a you know a a really useful part of your book. But I want to ask you the question is, and I know that probably a lot of people ask you this, but is it, is there a simple way of saying, hey, if if I'm a lawyer with an iPad, there's like three apps that I absolutely have, have to have, or is that, or is it more nuanced than that? And if, if so, what are the three apps?
2: You know, if, if maybe we could say, four or five apps, then I could probably answer that better. Uh, It it reminds me of a blog post by Rob Dean. He has a blog called The Walking Office, where he talks a lot about iPads and productivity. He had a blog post called uh, How I Learned to Live Simply on the iPad. And in the post, he argues, and I think he's right for the most part, that most lawyers have just a few core apps that they use on a regular basis. And any more than that would, would really amount to technology overload. i I agree with that in principle. I think that's right. I don't really follow that. I have a ton of apps. I probably have between three and 400 apps on my iPad. And I would, I would imagine that there are lawyers out there who have even more than that. But I review apps on a regular basis. But, but I, I tend to find that I go back to probably five or 10 apps on a regular basis. But I like to have others that I will go back to on a less frequent basis. But if, if we're going to talk about the three or four or five apps that I think lawyers should have... I think that uh, the first one, uh, because of, of, of document sharing and the iPad's inability to, to have USB or anything like that, is you've got to have some connection to Dropbox or some file sharing program. Um, you, you can actually get by without the app itself, but but having the ability to access Dropbox, uh, I think, is critical. Whether, whether you have the app on your iPad or not, I, I think it's a must-have, whether it's Dropbox or Box.net or one of the other tools that synchronizes your, uh, your files uh, to the cloud and to your iPad. I think having a file management tool like Goodreader, Goodreader is my favorite tool to manage documents on the iPad. I think that is a critical uh, feature because it makes up for something that the iPad doesn't have. Um, I think that having uh, a, a a document creation device or or editing app such as Quick Office, Quick Office is my current favorite. Uh, people might prefer Documents to Go. Um, I also like to have Cloud on on my uh, iPad so that I can actually edit in Microsoft Word if I need to uh, to do that. So having something that that lets you edit and and create or revise documents is good. Um, having uh, having an app. Uh, To 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 manage PDF files, GoodReader is good with PDF files, but something like uh, PDF Expert is also a, a great app for both reviewing and annotating and signing PDF documents, which I think is something that people are going to start doing a lot more often: signing and filling out PDF documents on their iPad. So if I had to. Choose the three or four. Those would be them. Those would be the types that I would think of. I, I use many more than that. I would, I would say I probably use 10 regularly, and, and we can talk about those when we get to sort of our favorite apps. But um, th- that's, what I would, that's what I would guess would, would be the, uh, the apps I'd, I'd say all lawyers need to have at a minimum on their iPad.
1: Well, Tom, it seems like you actually use your iPad for for working. I, I think one really uh, interesting thing is to compare notes on what people have on the first screen of, of their iPad. So looking at mine here... Um, you might see Facebook, LinkedIn, Evernote, uh, ESPN, Sports Center, Kindle, iBook, Twitter, and then probably the, uh, you know, Notetaker HD, uh, Amazon, because it gives me a chance to check my Amazon wish list, which I, I use fairly aggressively. And then uh, the one app that you I relied on you most for in picking, Mr. Reader, which, which is my way of looking at RSS feeds. And, and that's really what's on my main screen. So I realized that, uh, you know, you can tell. That I don't really use the iPad for work work, but it's it has all the things that to me come in handy, especially when I'm traveling, which is would be the time that I use the iPad most.
2: Yeah, and I I have to say I I have only just started using the iPad more for work work. Um, a lot of my work needs to. Um, to be creating, you know, heavy duty documents in, in Excel and, and Word. And, and, and so I've got to have, you know, full blown versions of Microsoft Office to do that. So I, I don't use it as often as I would like to do actual work, but I have started recently um, reviewing all of my client documents on the iPad, marking them up so that I can ask questions, annotating them. Um, I, I, I've, I use uh, NoteShelf. NoteShelf is my note taking app of choice. And I use that almost exclusively now when i want to take handwritten notes in a meeting if i if i don't feel like typing my notes out i will take handwritten notes using note shelf um but, uh, but other than that, and then, and then actually there's a, a new app that's out that I think is tremendous. It's really nice, and it's called Harmony. It's, it's H-A-R-M-O-N dot I-E is the, is the name of the app, and it allows you to access SharePoint sites through your iPad. And so I can access my, uh, my company's SharePoint site, which has all of our documents on it and lots of things that we keep, and it's, it's, a, it's a really nice a- uh, app. It, it is a little bit more expensive. It's 19.99, but I think it's worth it to be able to get that kind of access. But you know, if if I took the other apps that I use, I think they would fall into just a couple of categories. First would be productivity, my note taking apps, note shelf, good reader, PDF expert, QuickOffice, on; those are the main apps I use for productivity. Um, for reading and keeping current, I'm using, like you, Mr. Reader, which I think is absolutely the best reader uh, on, the, on the iPad for RSS feeds for your Google reader. Uh, I use Instapaper quite a bit, Zite for learning and finding new articles and new things, and then obviously my Kindle to read books. Uh, I also do social networking on the iPad, and, and for the most part, I use the Facebook app, which I like a lot. And TweetBot. TweetBot, I think, is the best Twitter app for the iPad. I also use uh, for travel. I use Yelp all the time to find restaurants in the area. And TripIt has my uh, current itinerary available with just a few touches. So it's a a great app to use as well. I I would say that those are sort of the main categories of apps that I use the most. Um, I could, again, spend another hour talking about other great apps, but I think those are the high points.
1: You know, Tom, and I'm glad you brought up categories because that's that's the one thing I wanted to highlight in your book. And I, I know that you and I had a little back and forth while you were writing the book about the notion of categories. But I think that your book really excels in identifying sort of the main categories that uh, of apps that lawyers would be interested in. And, uh, and I think that's really useful uh, in a number of ways. But I wonder if you might kind of tick through those because a lot of lawyers, I don't think, have a good sense of you know, how broad the range of, of apps there are and how many of them actually are, are legal specific, especially the, the litigation-oriented uh, apps.
2: Well, if, if, if we look at, at the book, the way that I've divided the book up is I've divided it up into, into seven lessons. The first lesson is really an introduction on how to buy, install, and update your apps for people who, who need a little bit of extra understanding on the best ways to buy them and to install them and make sure that they're always updated on the iPad. And then the categories are really the ones that we just talked about. Apps for getting organized and being productive, calendar apps, meeting apps, uh, note-taking apps, um, uh, the next lesson is on documents. We've talked about some of those document apps. Uh, Apps for the law office. Right now, I think that uh, the iPad is best for litigators in terms of legal specific apps. I I get asked the question a lot of times, you you did great on on the litigation apps, but where are apps for us business lawyers? And the fact is, there aren't a lot of apps for business lawyers out there. There's not anything that would specifically – there there are a couple of apps that might touch on some of the things you do, but I would argue that apps in all the other categories are the types of, of apps you're going to need, creating documents, working on, marking up PDF files, those types of things. But in the litigation area, I think that really excels in terms of apps to manage depositions, to, to help pick a jury. Uh, the best apps are the ones that, that assist in evidence presentation when you're in court, uh but there's also a number of other apps that are starting to come out from other legal technology providers that uh, that supplement software that they already have so if for example you are a World docs user and you use that for your document management there is now an iPad app that allows you to access all of your World docs documents from the iPad so if you're if you're using a, a particular legal technology tool in your office you might check and see if there's a companion iPad app for it because I think that more and more often, companies uh, are starting to do that and, and to finally wake up and, and introduce uh, a mobile app. The, the other categories that I have in the book are are uh, apps for news reading and reference. Uh, that also includes legal research, uh, utilities. There's a lot of apps that uh, that help you do other things on the iPad, and that's that's what I cover in that section. And then I finally talk about the iPad on the road and the best apps for traveling, uh, for finding the right hotels for. Uh, uh, currency conversion for doing all sorts of different things uh, while you happen to be traveling. Yeah, that's that's great time and I I think that...
1: a lot of lawyers, I sort of feel like most people get get the iPad and they sort of make do with what they have and try a few things and don't understand the full range. Or once they do understand the full range, they get overwhelmed. And, and so there's that popular notion of curation these days out on the web of how do you find really good information and who can help you sift through the the information overload that you had. And as you said, if there's 200,000 iPad apps, and then also remember a lot of iPhone apps run on the iPad as well. Um, You know that it is overwhelming, and so I I think your book really plays a, a a great a great role in in helping lawyers as they move really rapidly into the into the iPad era.
2: Well, I appreciate that. And and I'll I'll recommend one other source that helps to curate apps uh, in a slightly different way. It's called appadvice.com. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. The reason why I like it is, is that they they divide apps into categories and they say, what are the best PDF apps? What are the best reading apps? Uh, And and, and they will give you their opinions on it. I think it's another way to kind of do a consumer reports best of the best uh, of certain types of apps. So I recommend you go to that site as well. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors, Clio and PC Law by LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network and I'm joined by Jack Newton, President of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing?
1: I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the the excitement is they're now able to realize the the potential of IT without all of the headaches.
2: We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack.
1: Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information
0: on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's g o c l i o.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast. Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio, that's PCLaw.com slash radio, or call us at 800-685-2161 today. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn, too.
2: And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile.
1: And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, we want to try something new and unexpected and see if uh, you like it. Our producers often tell us that they like the banter Tom and I have before and after the shows and are the often opinionated comments we have that uh, we get out of our systems before doing the show. They kept asking us to put some of that into the show. And so we just, we had this idea. As Tom is always perceived as so mild-mannered and even-handed. <laughs> we thought it'd be funny for Tom to use this segment to launch into a rant on a tech topic. Um, and in the process, sort of play against type. Uh, now, actually, Tom is more like the ranter in in private life than he lets on in public so i i've heard some of these rants before so what we're going to do is we're going to set tom loose on a tech topic of his choice that really irritates him then i'll take a quick devil's advocate position in response that i might or might not agree with and then well tom will come back and destroy all my arguments
2: it should be fun (laughs) tom what's bugging you today well, you know, it's interesting that you should ask me that question because just today I got an email from someone inviting me to join them on LinkedIn. And what really, really bugs me about that invitation is is that they say that my they're my friend and I've never heard of them. I have no idea who they are. You know, I've noticed over the past – it's really been recent – the past year or so, I mean relatively speaking with LinkedIn – I'm getting more and more LinkedIn invites from total strangers, but the invite says so-and-so indicates you are a friend. And I'm like, what? I've never heard of most of these people. I mean, I, I check out their profiles. I see that, yes, they are connected to me by others that I know, people that are in my network. So I guess, theoretically, if you're following the six degrees of separation, I know them. But, uh, but I really don't. You know, are they following the logical, the friend of my friend is also my friend? Uh, for me, it really doesn't work that way in social networking. You know, I, I, I tend to friend more people, or maybe I should say I tend to connect with more people online. LinkedIn than I do on other social networks. But it's not really limited to that in terms of uh, in terms of the invites that I get. I routinely get invites on Facebook, on Foursquare, on Goodreads I use for books um, from people I've never heard of. And for me, those sites are different than LinkedIn. I, I share personal things on those sites and I really only share them with people that I know. I just don't understand the need to friend a complete and total stranger. You know, I, social networking for to me is supposed to be about meeting people, but I think that it, this feels almost like cold calling. And I, I think it's ridiculous, frankly. But let's get back to LinkedIn. I'll finish. I'll close out on the first part of the rant. When I want to connect with someone on LinkedIn that I know, I will include a note in the invitation that hopefully is going to remind them who I am and and the connection. For example, I was introduced to an e-discovery lawyer last week on a phone call uh, and on a phone conference. A few days afterwards, I sent an invitation through LinkedIn with a note. It was nice getting to meet you over the phone. I'd like to connect on LinkedIn if that's okay. I think that's the way it ought to be done. Show me how you know me. I admit there are a few people who get it. I do get some invites that say things like, I read your blog all the time, or you and I are both members of the law practice management section. Now I'm okay with that. I think they're going, they're trying to make a connection and it makes it easier for me to say yes, but I can't tell you right now how many invites I have that have gone ignored because someone just identified themselves as a friend. Come on, folks! I think that's just lazy, frankly. You're gonna, you're just doing that because it's the easiest way to make a connection on LinkedIn. And, and frankly, you guys are driving me crazy. Am I off base here, Dennis?
1: No, because when uh, in Allison Shields and I's book on LinkedIn, and when we speak about LinkedIn, that's almost the number one tip we have is not to use the default invitation from LinkedIn, but to customize and let people know who you are. But here's the argument uh, or the counter argument, Tom. Is that you're a savvy LinkedIn user. You, you should realize that friend doesn't mean friend and that people have either uploaded contacts or they read your blog or something and they've decided to or seen that they, you know, you share a connection with somebody else. And so they decide to send an invitation and the default that, you know, for them is the easiest thing is they have your email address so they can, they can call you a friend. Um, and it's the easiest way for them to send that that invitation out to you. And they know that you as a savvy user will check out their profile anyway and make a decision about it, you know, as, as you do, make the decision about who's in between. And so they're just being really efficient and quick about getting you ah, that invitation ah. so so that you can connect to them much more easily.
2: Uh, yeah, whatever. Let's really get to the heart of it here. I'm, I'm sitting right here with a LinkedIn connection on my page. When I invite someone to connect, it says, how do you know X? And there's a bunch of things. If you click colleague, then it asks you to choose a company. You can't connect unless you choose a company. If you select classmate, you have to choose a school. If you select we've done business together, you have to select a company that you worked for. If you select other, you have to put their email address in. So your only choices are friend, which doesn't require you to do anything more than say I'm a friend or I don't know this person, which I'm surprised that they actually let you send an invitation when you say, I don't know them. And so it's the default. These people are lazy. They're just trying to get through with a minimum of effort. And I really think that they sh- should sh- should change. You're right. I will admit that on, on LinkedIn, I'm less worried about knowing people because I think it's important to build a, a big network. Who knows when I will ever need to get in touch with these people or people that they know. But, um, you know, it's, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. We're all trying to get to know each other. And it makes sense to just try a little bit it uh to, to to observe some some good rules of protocol
1: well and i'll tell you uh, to add a point Tom. is that the people who try to friend you on facebook who you don't even know that that to me is just utterly bizarre to do that in, uh, anonymously um anyway that's tom's rant for this week let us know if you'd like the new segment or have a topic you like tom to rant about and now it's time for our parting shots at one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends tom take it away
2: well, you know, going back to apps, uh, Dennis talks about apps gone free. Apple has introduced a new free app of the week. If you go to the app store, um, they usually have a banner there that says that this particular app is the free app of the week. And what's interesting is they've been putting up some, some really nice, well-regarded apps as their free app. For example, um, the week that we're recording this, it may not be the same when you listen to this, but it, the, the app that they're featuring for free is Snapseed. Snapseed is, in my opinion, one of the better Photo apps out there. It will. Uh, it has many, many different tools for uh, cropping, uh, coloring, uh, de-red eyeing, doing anything you want to do with uh, your photos. Uh, I think that now that the iPad is becoming much more of a photo uh, manipulation and, and taking tool, that uh, that this tool I think competes with with Photoshop and with some of the better photo editing apps uh, and software products that are out there. Snapseed, Dennis.
1: Yeah, it and I was able to get that one for free, too, normally a normally paid app. So that's, uh, that's the benefit of, of looking for these sort of free sales. Uh, Mary Meeker, famous, famous technology industry analyst, is known, among other things, for her annual State of the Web presentation, which she just gave. And it it's, tends to be met with the responses like this headline from the San Francisco Chronicle, which says Mary Meeker's latest incredibly insightful presentation about the state of the web. It's about I think about 125 slides uh, available through SlideShare and some other connections. You can grab a copy of it. Just reading it this morning, uh, which uh, what was why I mentioned one of the things I noticed and, and mentioned earlier was the adoption of the iPad. Uh, you know that sort of how quickly that's happened is just amazing. And she sets that out in one of her slides. It's a great thing of. Uh, Technology then versus technology now, showing some of the trends we're moving. A lot of great information about how the internet is being used in the U.S. and and elsewhere. Um, Just really a terrific presentation.
2: Probably lives up to all the hype. Excellent parting shot. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, as well as all the apps we discussed today, are available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter, at TKM Report. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report
1: on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Don't get so revved up about a tech topic that you forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes.
0: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report Only on the Legal Talk Network.